0: Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm.
1: Melbourne's Drive Time Radio program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainways.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia.
0: I would like to begin by paying my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional custodians of the land on which I am coming to you from today. Land where at Brainwaves we tell our stories, and land where the traditional custodians have told their stories for many, many years before us, and continue to tell their stories. I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, and acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners who are listening today. Hello and welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR, 855am on your dial, app or live stream. My name is Luke Manning and I'm your host. Brainwaves is a mental health focused show with a lived experience lens and today my guest is Tash. Tash is a 30-something, chronically ill and self-described disabled hermit living in the eastern suburbs with a terrible sense of humour and a chronically ill cat named Chester Cat who is 18 and is also a pain in the arse. Tash is also the creator of Porn in Suburbia, where she turns secondhand and handmade odd and otherwise useless trash into treasure. And she has a really cool YouTube channel called Fully Sick. So, Tash, without further ado, welcome to Brainwaves. And there. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. So excited to have you here. Thanks. Now, um, Tash, we've got a lot of different subjects to cover in our time together. So, I'm just going to like speed through some of these questions so that we can cover as many bases as we can. So, Tash, you have been experiencing some what we call, I guess, formally comorbidities and physical symptoms and mental health challenges since having a medical procedure a couple of years ago. And while chronic illness itself is not new to you, the total permanent disability is. And can you really sort of, I guess, just take us through what your life, health and mental health was like before undergoing this medical procedure?
1: Well, um, before I kind of... I've. I had sort of chronic illness problems, um, you know, uh, most of my life. I was, um, like, you know, just building up. I, I had a, a genetic defect that I was born with, and you know, asthma. I was diagnosed with um, BPD and complex uh, post-traumatic stress disorder when I was, um, very, very young, twenty-one. Um, and uh, but, and through that, I was still managing to, you know. As you do, you sort of keep on keeping and, and, and working and um I'd just been accepted into RMIT um at the you know, before I was disabled, um and I in the fashion school in Brunswick. Um I was, you know, for all intents and purposes a regular taxpaying paying, you know, useful member of society, like <laughs> um, as much as I could be. Um I like I had I've had I had, you know, through it I, I've worked through all my issues with um like endocrine issues, um, prolactinemia and stuff like that. Um, uh pituitary tumors, um, and uh, mental health side of it. Um, I was working through it. Um, you know, your twenties is this tumultuous kind of, uh, I guess shit show if you want to put it, yeah, blank plainly. Like you're still, are you're, you're coping with all your past traumas, and you're trying to figure out who you are, and you're trying to like also live this adult life. But you're doing this all at once, and that's why everyone's twenties is a complete mess. And I was just sort of coming through the other end. I was, um, you know. I was uh, 31, and I was working. Um, I think my last, my last job, I think it was, I was working, um, doing um, PA and reception work at a tattoo parlor. I was loving it. I was about to, you know, started uni. Uh, things were, you know, thing, you know, things were starting to really look up. I was really starting to enjoy my life, and my mental health had, had was really, i really make it, made headway with it, with um, many years of therapy and inpatient treatment and taking my meds and. It was really starting to see, like, you know, that light that they tell you about that's at the end of the tunnel, that light was actually starting to, you know, shine, I guess. (laughs) So, yeah, um, I I was, yeah, 31 was when I had that surgery, so 2018, and um, I went into that surgery with the idea that it was going to help a lot of my endocrine issues that were just that chronic one that kept holding me back, and I really wanted to, I was so excited about uni, I'm like, no, we've got to hit this nail on the head, we've got to, um, you know, tackle. you keep having these recurring endocrine issues and my, my GP suggested having the surgery um, as a way to manage those because um, we had no luck doing anything else. And um, yeah, so I went into it thinking it was going to be the answer to all my problems and it turned out to give me a whole set of new ones. <laughs> How fun is that when that happens? <laughs> oh, it, it always does, doesn't it? You know, it does. It best intentions of mice
0: and men and kind of stuff. Like yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So obviously, you know, you've got yourself into a position where you're feeling like let's tackle this probably mentally this one last big thing, Just let's clean the slate, let's get it out of the way. And you know what, and let's, let's jump it in. Big guns, big guns. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> big guns. Yeah, that's how it's often referred to. Now in whatever way feels comfortable for you because I know there's a lot of stuff around this particular subject, but can you describe to our listeners what happened so
1: basically um so I went into this surgery and there was there's a um uh and so it was a gastric gastric sleeve surgery um and if I went into this surgery and, and like a knowingmania you know my, you know dr google um like I so saw the recovery time and uh, i I researched that and um And discussion with the specialists and stuff so the recovery time you meant to have do after the surgery you eat a liquid diet for two weeks puree diet for two weeks soft food two weeks and then graduate to whole foods and um when i was hitting the puree to soft food stage i was finding a real difficulty um keeping food down Not, not not just like automatic like vomiting and it would happen every time i tried to eat anything with any sort of sort of texture like um and I was like this is that this is a bit wrong so I I, I like I, I gave my body some time I knew it was a bit clunky it was a bit of a beat up old bomb so like <laughs> I gave it a bit of another two weeks just in case I needed that time and it still wasn't improving um I still wasn't able to eat the foods that they were you know telling me I should be able to eat these foods at this stage and keeping water down was hard as well um I like and it wasn't just they tell you you have to take little sips after surgery sip 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 I I couldn't I like I couldn't get any sort of I was water in of any sort of like you know um, quality like it was just I was dehydrated and I was like uh, okay so I brought this up to the specialist at a um at a um a catch up and uh, they've sent me off for uh, my first set of scopes and tests which were horrible by the way um, <laughs> I vomited all over the floor of the uh the the radio radiology room um, <laughs> and yeah. Um, um, so, and, um, uh, that they were testing, um, like, um, like doing scopes and stuff like that to try and see, um, uh, my, my reef, um, anything wrong in my own um, digestive tract and like, uh, um, with my esophagus and stuff like that, and um, like, I can't remember the name of the test, uh, <laughs> involves swallowing barium. I know that, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not fun. Um, so basically I was, um, like in the process of getting extra tests and stuff and they were ordering um gastroscopies and stuff, things like that and that was in the months after surgery it was through it was pu- uh, public health so you know you wait in a long time um between um between appointments unfortunately even though you, yeah, you probably shouldn't and it got to um i think i was w- in the process of waiting for another scope um uh, well the results of another scope i think they did about two in the time between I, when i had surgery in the february um uh, and then uh, I think uh, things really came to a head in I think it was winter of that year, so like June, I collapsed um at um uh like um my partner's house, like I just dropped, um and uh, he obviously you know cradling me in his arms like Whitney Houston bodyguard style, like running to the hospital, um and um and began my, first, my I think it was my longest stint of inpatient, which was nearly two months long, and every test under the sun I had scopes for days i think one one week i had three scopes i went under three times in a week um uh so like um my poor little body was and uh, they installed my first um ng tube while i was in inpatient as well um I, like there were days in there where i i thought i was never gonna get a hospital I thought, this is just my life now. like <laughs> like i live here this is my house uh, <laughs> this room with six other strangers like they're all sick um so yeah um I, I, they would just uh, there, and there was no no um, no sort of talk with the doctors they've sort of you know have this habit of you know they do their rounds they talk at you but they're not really talking to you um, and I, I didn't know what was going on they were testing me I, I know they tested me for pylori they were testing me for like and they kept kept doing gastro like, they were they were gastroscope happy like they were just so dead keen on giving me a million gastroscopies like um, and they were never finding anything um, like I suppose the definition of insanity is doing the same thing repetitively and expecting change. But like, like they kept looking in my stomach, seeing nothing. They would like, like, they, they kept coming up, coming up, you know, blank. Um, and they were watching me, so they could tell I wasn't making myself vomit because they could see me after meals. They were, they could, you know, they like, and, and I was on a puree diet and liquid diet, um, and then with the NG tube. But they could see me throw up after, you know, all the like all the time. So I wasn't making myself. And then I had, um, during that time I also had, I don't know how many, I think, I think about four psyche valves (laughs) they scheduled me for. Like once you've got mental health on your, like, if i take permanent record, medical record, kind of is a permanent record. Um, basically once mental health's on there, they kind of like, they're like, they they dumb down on the, like, on, like I was, I was wondering why I was getting so many psyche valves. (laughs) like like okay I'm, like, I'm glad they're worried about my mental health in I'm, hospital. i'm okay and they're like so apparently the psych evals were because they were um evaluating me for eating disorders and body dysmorphia and um and um many signs of sort of manipulative sort of attention seeking behaviors and stuff like that and um by the time i had my last psych eval which was with a panel of five psychiatrists including the head of psychiatry um Uh, And they were, they were like, they kept going back to the medical team with the same thing. She ain't got no eating disorder. She got problems. But she doesn't have body disorder. She doesn't have an eating disorder. This is a medical problem. And they didn't like hearing that. They really didn't like hearing that it was a medical problem because they couldn't find anything when in the million and one gastroscopies that they were doing. They couldn't find, you know. I'm wondering, like, what they were looking for, like, you know, like a boat. Like, like, what were they looking for in the same place all the time? Like, what are you expecting to see that it was different from last week when you put me under? Like, magically, like, um, yeah. So, it was, um, it was either I discharged and I kept going back. I, um, like, I went home with an NG tube after. Oh, like, it was like being free from prison. I swear. Like, I was, like, <laughs> I, was I was like freedom. I'm not have to wear a gown. Someone isn't poking me in the veins at 3 a.m. trying to get bloods. Like, like it's so good it was so good to be home um but i kept ha- i kept having the same issue like i was on my, my feed so it was a, i was a bit more stable and i got a little bit of energy back which was, which was nice um but um the, the issue still remained and i and um so i kept i kept up presenting at a hospital with dehydration i was usually pretty delirious and weak um it was usually yeah like i, I was just a a like, I'm a bit, I can't tell. I'm a very energetic person and when I, like, I try and push myself I better, and I I burn out quick, like, I was burning out too quick. I, I couldn't use, I was trying to use my usual energy my usual energy wasn't, like, powering me like I wanted to be powered, I guess. <laughs> so um, I kept presenting to them and they kept telling me, you know, um, can't find anything and then, like, um, you know, we went up and doing any more gastroscopies that they put me in for, um, like, like they just kept telling me the same thing, and they kept the attitudes of the hospital started getting very, I want to say, um, dismissive, standoffish, and impatient. Like they were just like, "Why are you still here bugging us? Like, go home!" Like, um, I heard the, well, a nurse use the term "bed blocker" when it came to me, because um, like that's totally what I do want to do with my you NEO. Know, random Tuesday night, I want to be in the ED, like, you know, vomiting and passing out. That's totally my idea of a good time because I want attention. I'm that person. I'm so starved of attention. I need the doctors to tell me that I'm lovely. Like, Jesus. Aha. No. Um, so that all came to a head in um, on my last presentation at the hospital later in that year. So like November. So um, I still had my NG tube in at that point. I think I had it in for about six months. Um I, pre- they, I I presented to ED again dehydration delirious um and I went um and basically they I was shuffled off into um the the a ward I didn't recognize it it was the um cardiac ward um and where I sat for 2 days with no IV with nothing no nothing nutrition through my NG tube because the doctors wouldn't come down and see me um and so by the time they did come and see me, like I, the nurse was crying. Like she couldn't she kept like why like what what are you doing? You can get down here and so I can't they couldn't even give me fluids or anything or any food. Um and I'm just lying in this bed just getting more and more just like I'm off. Like, you know, if you've ever been severely dehydrated or like I had a dizzy spell it was basically that. Um by the time they did come and see me, like I was so out of it and there was these two junior doctors and they came in and they started laughing at me. Uh um and joking about how uh, like, like in a mocking tone like oh look it's dr so-and-so's favorite patient again what, what do you want this time and i'm just like, like i'm conscious like i might not be uh like i might have been like yeah, t- you know half uh, half cut like on on you know like of <laughs> water and <laughs> water and nutrients but i was just i wanted to i like I, it was like every time my partner was there they were a lot more polite to me than they were when they when he wasn't um and the nurse well, it was crying trying to get them down. She was trying to advocate for me best she could and the doctors did their you know how I could think just overruled her and just they were like she's not, you know, like trying to back me up. Um and they just discharged me. Um, they were like, Yeah, well there's nothing wrong with you. Um, yeah, and so you can go home. After two days in the cardiac ward with no no food and water, in a weakened state. Um the nurse was in tears she was like holding me and telling me that she, i'm crying and saying you know this is not why i got into medicine i'm so sorry you were so sick and you need to be here um i had to go back for a compulsory appointment the next week and um uh, to um because i had a, i did a, what's called an esophageal manometry, where they've like they fed an, a different tube you know, through my nose <laughs> um and they've monitor your acid levels in your stomach and like um and things like that when you're when when you're like supine lying down and like up and it gives you gives back all this data um and then i had to you know go under to get it um uh like um i had to get it taken out and without telling me they were going to without my consent they took out my ng tube my feeding tube as well um so i woke up and i'm like touching my face going where's all my tubes Uh, like it they yeah they were just like yeah, uh, we just we made a decision that um it's no longer you know it's probably best that you just try and, and go ahead try and eat everything you can manually, um and see how you go. And so they taken away my only source of like proper nutrition and vitamins and minerals, and um and then um you know just they sent me on my merry way and um I follow up appointment you know another two weeks, um with my dietitian um. And then by the time the hospital had gone from um, being a bit bit cold to downright hostile to me at this time, Um, I had nurses trying to catch me walking because I said I was weak and I found it hard to walk. So every time I did, they were just like, hi, you're walking. You can walk. Like um, (laughs) uh, a nurse, I once got dressed down by a nurse because I was hitting my call button and I had to go to the bathroom really bad and no one was coming. And I'm like, I'm not going to wet the bed. I'm not going to be that girl. So I crawled along, like I held the wall and went to the bathroom. And she came back. She goes, "How'd you go to the bathroom then? How'd you go to the bathroom?" And I'm like, "I'm just like, feel I'm a, yeah, I'm I'm being attacked right now. Like I'm, just, I'm like, why are you being like this? Like this is just horrible. This is all an, and like it was just uh, uh, anyway. Um, my my last uh, follow up appointment went um that this particular um hospital um uh, my dietitian was like, look I, like basically I've read the doctor's notes. You're just being difficult at this point. You just need to eat more. You just simply need to eat more. That's what you need to do." I started crying and then I went to, you know, crying in the waiting room, waiting for my appointment well, with my surgeon. And um, when the surgeon saw me, um, he sort of like, sort of looked at my records and looked at me and was like, you know, still having, you know, the vomiting issues and stuff like that. I'm like, yes, like every day. I'm, I really, I, I really want to diagnose I really want to get to the bottom of this. I'm so over this living like this. This is no way to live. And he sort of like looked at me and he goes, you know, yeah. You're the biggest success story in this department this year when it comes to body body mass loss weight loss per ratio. Like you know, like so maybe you should start being a bit grateful instead of looking for a problem. Um, and I, it just that was kind of what broke me. I kind of like, I. I, um, I was like sitting in the, I remember sitting in the foyer on my hands and knees, like, like absolutely like heaving and sobbing peeing. I'm I was a weird person that people look at who's crying really loudly in public. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was just, I was screaming for help. I was begging for someone to help me and I couldn't understand why these people wouldn't believe me. And I, I didn't want to believe that it was literally because they saw BPD, complex PTSD on my medical record and they just dismissed any concerns I had as part of that. Um, I I kind of know that's probably true and between that and being in the too hard basket and above their pay grade um I uh, like ah, I was completely lost I, I I went to a really really low place I I didn't honestly believe that my life was worth nothing and I I wasn't worthy of saving at this point I was just I like how about how loud do you have to scream for help before like before anyone hears you
0: and I'm so sorry, Tash, that you've gone through all of that. It's just, it should never, it should just never, ever be like that. And I know that so many people with disabilities and chronic illnesses and they go through this stuff regularly and it's really hard for people that are able-bodied to hear and to understand that this is a situation that is surprisingly all too common. And yeah. I am so, so terribly sorry that you've had to go through it, but I think it's incredibly courageous and brave of you to share this story because I know there will be other people listening today who can resonate and hopefully some medical professionals who are also listening that can learn about what it's like to actually be the patient and how important it is to treat them
1: like a uh, child. you're in a vulnerable place You're so in such a vulnerable place you're trusting these people with your life you're very you're very yes yeah, so everything of who you are and you're in a weakened state and you're not able to defend yourself and, and you're out of your knowledge depth as well so like you are entrusting them, you know, with, with you, and that—that's sacred. That is uh, such a such a position of trust, such a place of you've got to. You just got to put your heart into it. You just got to breathe and go. I get, like I, I I trust that you got me, and and these people, I did that, and it's, it's kind of like it like a relationship. <laughs> I gave you my trust and you broke it. You yeah, broke it's me. an abusive relationship. <laughs>
0: The power dynamic plays into an yes, it a lot, and that's a it's terrible thing as well. Thing. If you're just tuning in, this is Brainwaves on 3CR 855 AM on your dial. My name is Lick Manning, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Tash, a chronically ill and disabled human and the creator of Porn in, porn in Suburbia, making gorgeous jewellery <laughs> and other crafts. So, Tash, obviously we've just heard your really harrowing story there about the experience that you had, a long-term, really, experience that you had um. Going in and out of hospital and the treatment that you had or lack of treatment that you had really from the medical professionals and there's also this really big cycle of grief that can come with being disabled or chronically ill and going through these sorts of medical traumas and experiences like that. Do you feel that you've traversed that grief journey? And if so, what can you tell us us about what it's like to have that kind of grief? Um,
1: you did very well described it. It is a grief journey. <laughs> um, I um. I was very lucky that I had the, uh, like, I don't think if I had had these experiences when I was younger that I would have dealt with them half as well as I did or am doing now because I had a good solid 15 years of therapy under my belt already. (laughs) I kind of, um, and like, um, I I kind of um, was able with the help of um, my psychologist to sort of traverse it and come out the other side still sort of with a with a peppy attitude and pop in my step, <laughs> um, basically like um uh, after um after after that last appointment with my specials, I was I went down really low. I was I was just miserable, and I got I was started not only low, I was angry, and I didn't know how to process this anger. And I was I was I became like I got, like I was either in bed, you know, because I couldn't it was hard to leave it, and, and after taking out my feeding tube. Like, I was just surviving on, like, I got a Fitbit, which was probably the wrong thing to do because all it did was remind me all the calories I wasn't eating a day and how much deficit I was in. Um, <laughs> and so I just took it off after a while because it just got too depressing. Um, I was just angry and I was I was sad. And I was grieving my life because, I like, it was no life. It's to lie in bed all day, to just crawl, like, to crawl around, to need help, to shower. Like, I was just losing so much, many parts of myself, as days wore on and on and it was like it was just like something else I lost something else I can't do anymore and it was just a list of things that I couldn't do and that were out of reach for me and I used to be able to do, um like my you know independence, my financial independence, my ability to wash uh, my ability to you know like not get checked on every five minutes when I'm in the toilet the ability to go anywhere on my own the ability to to make my own decisions and know that I'm not obeyed by a delusional half that hasn't had water or food in five days. Like, um, and I was angry and the the, the anger, uh, like, I, it, it was, I'd, it was kind of like burning. I'd, I, I felt anger like that before, but not in a very long time. It was like this deep, burning rage. And I, I, I knew what it was, because was it? It, this was about a year in and it was a long year. And I was like, this isn't going to end soon. This is, and like it's been a year and they have still scratching heads. No one has any idea what is going on with you. You know you're not doing it to yourself. Like, this is bad. This is really bad. You're getting really, really sick. And the knowledge that it was going to get so much worse, and the knowledge that I was going to have to feel my what it felt like for parts of you to physically die and. To lose parts of yourself and and be conscious and feeling through the whole thing and know that the future is going to be hard and sh- struggle and it's going to be pain. Um, that knowledge made me angry. That knowledge made me so angry. I was angry that that was going to be my future and I couldn't do anything about it. I was powerless. Um, and but the what what helped pull me out of it is I noticed how. The effect of this rage, anger, sullenness. I was just, you know, I was just like, I was just hard to be around. If I was conscious, I was cranky and like, yeah, snappy and and angry and like, you know, yeah, definitely rude. I was, I was not, I'm not proud of it. Um, was, uh, watching watching my partner one day, he was, um, doing all the housework, um, because like, obviously i I picking up a vacuum cleaner made me want to pass out. Um, and he was just, like, I'd been snappy all morning and he was just sort of bustling about. He was just, like, doing the vacuuming and, and cleaning up all my, my medical supplies and you know, ordering them in the room and stuff like that and making sure they're all neat. And I was just like, this beautiful, beautiful man it literally has saved your life. He's carried you unconscious into the ED. He, you've been an upright, like, bitch all day to him. And he's still here cleaning the house, cleaning up your medical supplies and giving you, Nothing but love, like it would be a disservice to him and the people that are around you right now. Like you're doing everyone around you a disservice right now. Like yes, it's hard, but you don't have. Why are you putting that on other people? Why are you making other people suffer for your suffering? Like come on, man. Like like you, you've got to find. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but you got to pick yourself up. You got to try something because this ain't working. And let's face it, like being that angry, like it feels gross it feels like if you feel dirty you feel like you need to have a shower from so much hate in you i'm um, like you need to wash it away um and so i started really really small i started basic self-care again because i hadn't been obviously um i started getting up every day i'll be like right today you're going to wash your face you're going to take the time you're going to spend five minutes and you're going to wash your face really good and you're going to put on moisturizer and then it was today you're going to do a face mask you feel fancy you can put on a face mask you're going to take five minutes and you're going to do one with Devin. You're going to um, build your partner, and you're going to have a nice activity together, which is putting on face masks. And we did, and we'd get all the stupid animal ones, ones and that made us look like horror creatures from another dimension, um, <laughs> like just. And then it started with, like, okay, you're going to do one thing today that makes you really happy, like within within your parameters, within reason. Like, but what's what really makes you happy? I'm like op shop, op shop, made me happy. So Devon would take me to the op shop. And, um, it, like, just being there is amazing. I'm a scavenger by nature. Like, I can, like, I have this knack for finding stuff. I'm just really good at rummaging through stuff, basically. That's my, like, weird life skill. Like, I can't put it down on a resume. And, like, it, I, I never thought it would get me anywhere. Who thought my odd life skill for going through my neighbor's hard rubbish would, like, get me so far in life? Like, don't, you know, don't give up your dreams, kids. Like, <laughs> but, um like um it really and then from that like it started we started uh like through dev's work like we worked for recycled, recycled um goods and um, um goods that are donated and thrown away and um we we find stuff um and he's work at op and and i'd sometimes like with my adhd i had this habit of doing weird things like like such as looking up the value of things like when you're just like oh that's really nice look up the brand of that like look up the the brand of teacup that you're holding once uh, there was like this whole box of like teacups and like plates and stuff like that that was going to be literally thrown into a compactor and i was like oh let me have a look i'm you know i like teacups you know i'm i whim- I'm whimsy cool and quirky i like teacups. i'll have a look at them <laughs> and um there was teacups in there that were worth like 80 bucks a pop so i um i was like you know what like i might pop that on ebay like you know because I wasn't on DSP yet, and you know, new start didn't pay a lot when you're disabled. <laughs> like, um, so I like I, I sold like um, a couple, like some like stuff that I found on on eBay, and that I thus bought was born, born in suburbia. Um, that's how I and uh, like um, and then I just um, what that did for my psyche, what that did for my mental health, like finding a purpose and and just slowly learning to to love what I love again and learn how to feel that, um, despite my pain, despite what I knew, despite my reality. Um, it was my saving grace. Um, I wouldn't have I like I I didn't know if I was gonna get to pull myself out, but it was the kindness of the people in, in my life and the people that did show up, the people that were present. Um no I I, I like if they're going to so tirelessly and lovingly Care for me and make sure that I'm alive, the least I can do is enjoy that life and enjoy their company
0: because um, that's all they want in, as well. So, um, what, what a beautiful way of putting that. So, <laughs> it's so true. And again, you know, like so many people with chronic illnesses will resonate yeah. with what you've just described the, 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 the searing anger, the, mm-hmm. the grossness of how that actually feels, and how the self care drops away. Very often as part of that. And then just finding whatever it is, that little spark, that little creative thing or that that thing or the being that you can nurture, whether it's a pet or whatever it is that just keeps you in the game. Yeah. Just that little bit so that you can do everybody the service, you know, of the fact that they've looked after you in the way that they have. So I think you just perfectly described something so incredibly intense. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Tune in next week for part two of this episode. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.